the Lord for his goodness and for his mercy. I'm so grateful for, to be in the house of the Lord again. And we are continuing our series of messages entitled The Final Countdown. This is a final sermon in four sermons. And I invite you to turn in your copy of the Word of God to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we'll begin reading in verse 13. Would you stand with me as we read from the Word of God? If you have it, say amen. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not by any means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in the powerful name of Jesus, we bow before you in humble adoration. God, we're so grateful that you have allowed our lives to be lengthened to experience this another day that you have made. God, we choose as all of the angelic hosts to rejoice in a spirit of praise as we acknowledge how great is our God. God, we are so humble that you stop by and you give attention to our cries. Now, God, take what we have today from your word and make it come alive in the hearts of your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We praise the Lord for his presence today. The final countdown. We have considered the need to read the signs as we count down in the last of the last days. We've also considered the fact that God has abandonment issues. The Bible says in the last days there will be a great falling away from the faith, a great apostasy, an abandonment from sound doctrine, from God. And then on last week, we talked about beware, watch out for misinformation. And I believe that the spirit of delusion that the Lord said that he would release on the earth through the Antichrist is not going to be in terms that we are familiar with. We know what sound doctrine sounds like. But the way the devil is attacking the church today is through misinformation and disinformation. 
We need to be on guard, even though it may not be couched in biblical terms. Error is error. A lie is a lie. There is no alternative truth. There is the truth, the light, and the Word of God provides that for us. And whenever you and I hear something that may even agree with our opinion, if it is in conflict with the Word of God, let God be true in every man a liar. So today we're going to be talking about a hope so that knows so. Four weeks after the Category 4 hurricane, Ida devastated the small town of Ironton, Louisiana. I had to get a little southern stroll in there. Louisiana. A 75-year-old pastor was interviewed by a reporter from CNN. The interview focused on the most painful consequences of the hurricane. Caskets containing human remains from the town cemetery are still scattered around the small town. Pastor Hayward Johnson said the sight of families' loved ones' caskets floating and ending up in the streets of people's yard, in, in the streets and people's yards, and out on the fields is overwhelming. Pastor Johnson was able to refer to many of the caskets that were still scattered around the town by name, for he had been the one who had officiated their funerals and watched their bodies go into their crypts. A father and a daughter whose casket came to rest beside each other in someone's yard. A man whose casket was now turned upside down on a levee. And another whose funeral vault moved 2,000 feet and wound up right in front of the church. Pastor said he was devastated because it was him who read the last rites over these bodies of family members that had died. Now, as I read the story, it was creepy to me, the thought of waking up to a casket that had floated out of the seminary of one of my family members landing in front of my house. I don't cherish the idea of that possibility. And if we are honest, you would admit that you would struggle going to the cemetery and finding empty graves in open caskets. I remember as a child, if I was ever walking by a cemetery at night, it didn't remain a walk or a stroll. I became Bob Hayes. <laughs> Usain Bolt. I think I broke some speed uh, records running away from the graveyard. No one would like to be jogging in the park where caskets with bodies of friends and loved ones are in clear view. As strange and horrifying as this sounds, the Bible actually predicts that something very similar is going to happen like 
in Ironton, Louisiana, in the last of the last days preceding the return of Jesus Christ. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says regarding graves bursting open and caskets being empty. In verses 16 and 17 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them in the cloud, to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. There's going to come a time when graves are going to bust open and caskets are going to be evacuated. Dead people are going to get up out of the graves. When these caskets are, are, are opened and, and graves are cracked, we will meet the Lord in the air. While the image of graves opening and caskets being empty should shock us and alarm us, what should be most frightening and concerning to us is what happens after the church is taken out of the world. We should be concerned about those who don't know Jesus because the problem doesn't end when graves are emptied out. The problem begins by the period of the Great Tribulation or the time of Daniel's trouble, the 70th week of Daniel that he talks about in the book of Daniel, beginning in chapter 9, beginning in chapter, chapter uh, uh, 7 and to the end of the book. Dead people are going to get up. Now, directed by the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul responds to an issue that was brought to his attention probably by his spiritual son that he was mentoring, Pastor Timothy, who visited Thessalonica. And the problem had to do with this immature church, this baby church that the Apostle Paul had started in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 15. And the Bible said over a period of three Sabbaths, he taught them day and night every single major doctrine to this new church. But because of persecution, Paul and his evangelistic team's life came under threat. And they were forced they were forced to leave Thessalonica before they fully developed the leadership of that church. One of the doctrines the Apostle Paul had taught the Thessalonican believers was the doctrine of eschatology, the teaching of future things, specifically as it related to the return of Jesus Christ. One of the things that the Apostle Paul taught these disciples in Thessalonica was that the Lord would come back like a thief in the night. It would be sudden. It would be when they least expected it. He taught the church about the imminent return of Christ. Now, I want to make a couple quick observations about the imminent return of Christ, what that means, and I'm not going to assume that we understand these things anymore because I believe the greatest threat to the church right now is that we're birthing ignorant Christians and we're not making disciples. 
And the Bible says that when we are not being discipled, we are like little children who can be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And so we, we, we need not be in the category, the Bible says, that my people are perishing because of the lack of knowledge. The imminent return of Christ means that at any moment, at any second, he will suddenly return for his church like a thief in the night. And he's coming back for those who are alive as well as those who have died. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 29 through 31, write that down. The Apostle Paul says what, what, what he is, he's explaining why it's better to remain single than to get married. He said, I, I pray and I would wish that all of you were like me, celibate. You had the gift of singleness. He says, what I mean, brethren and brothers and sisters, is this, that the time on earth, the time in this world is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn should live as if they're not mourning. Those who are happy as if you were not. Those who are buying something as if you were not keeping it. And then at the end of the verse, it says, For this world in its present form is passing away. Jesus Christ could come at any second, at any moment, and he will call back his church to himself. And so the Apostle Paul says, don't be as we, most of us are today. Don't get twisted. Don't be di di distracted by the cares of this world. Christ is coming back, and it could happen at any time. A second aspect of the teaching of the imminence of Christ's return, the, the immediacy, the urgency of his return, is that it has to do with him the, the, the imminent return of Christ also speaks of a time of urgent rescue from divine wrath that will be released on the world before the tribulation. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, he talks about the church being taken away before the time of divine wrath. Similar to the days of Noah, when the rains came, when the floods came, God shut the door. And Noah and those with him were safe. They were rescued. They were, they were taken out of divine, the, 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 the range of God's divine judgment and put into the ark of safety in the same way that the imminent return of Christ will have to do with us being rescued from the time of divine judgment on the earth. And so... The issue that arises with the, with the Thessalonican church is that Paul said that Jesus could come back at any time. And during his absence from the church, some of the members of the Thessalonican church died before Christ returned. And so these Christians were grieving. They were gripped with discouragement and depression because they believed that their loved ones had missed the rapture, the return of Christ. We'll talk more about that. And they were 
unsure about what happens to people who die before Jesus comes back. Since Paul said that Jesus could come back at any time, well, what happened to my mom and my, and, and my family members that are already dead? And so Paul writes to explain to these Christians that we are not without hope. We have a hope so that knows so. Hope in the Bible means to have a confident expectation of a favorable outcome. I'm not talking about good luck or probability, something that may happen. Hope is an absolute confidence and assurance that there will be a favorable, a positive outcome. The reason why we can have that kind of favorable outcome, we're going to be looking at five things that Paul talked about, why we can have hope even for those who have already died. But we understand that God causes all things. Not some things, but all things to work together for the good of them who love him and are the called according to his purpose. And so we have a hope so that knows so. We have confidence that even though weeping will endure for a night, joy, joy is coming in the morning. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Now, there are just two things that I want to consider with you from this passage today. And the first is what the Thessalonians thought about the Apostle Paul's teaching that caused them to lose hope. What they thought Paul taught that caused them to lose hope. And then I'm going to share why we have a hope so that knows so. The first thing in terms of what the Apostle Paul taught that the believers were struggling with, I want to I consider four quick thoughts with you. First of all, notice he says in verse 13, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. That's a generic term to refer to, to Christian men and women. And so this is brothers and sisters who are saved. And so Paul's remarks are directed to Christians. And that means in terms of those of us who have lost loved ones, if you find yourself in the valley of despair and depression and you don't seem to be able to get out of the grips of what your emotional pain is bringing your way, that doesn't mean that you're less saved. Christians can be depressed. Christians can, can experience prolonged depression, what we call clinical depression. Depression is no respecter of person. You can be in the Lord for years as a mature believer, and a significant loss occurs in your life, and you find yourself in the valley of despair. You can be a, born, a, a brand new Christian and find yourself. But the, the, the important thing to understand is that these remarks about not losing hope are directed to people who are born again. Let me, let me help you with what I mean by born again. Born again means that you've been born a second time. 
born from above. Jesus is that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. He said, marvel not, Nicodemus. I say unto you, you must be born a second time, born of the spirit, born from above. And when you are born from above by placing your trust in the finished work of Jesus, the Bible says you become a brand new creation. Old things have passed away. And, old, and, new, and all things become new. You want to live for Jesus. Second thing that I want you to notice is that you don't have to be ignorant concerning those who die. You don't have to be in the dark when it comes to what happens when people are taken out of this world. He said, I would not have you to be uninformed. You don't have to be without correct biblical teaching regarding death and dying. One of the reasons so many Christians aren't in a hurry to get to heaven is because we don't know what heaven is like. We've never even done a study of what heaven is like. So we're holding on to this world. But I hear the word of God say, this world <coughs> is not our home. We are pilgrims who are traveling through. We're, we are ambassadors of Christ. And so you don't have to remain uninformed about what happens when your loved one dies. One of the saddest occasions for me is when, when a loved one does die, and the Bible says, blessed is the dead who die in the Lord. That becomes, for me as a pastor, a great opportunity to clearly pre preach a salvation message for the living because the funeral is really not for the dead. For a pastor to get up in the pulpit and miss the opportunity because the pastor is ignorant about the death and dying from a biblical perspective. Let me, let me run on. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul also says, in verse 13, says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brother, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as, those who have, as others who have no hope. And look at verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring him with those who sleep in him. The word sleep literally in verse 14 means those who are dead in Christ, those who have died in Christ. Verse 13 uses the word who are asleep in Christ. The Bible makes a distinction between being asleep in Christ and death. The two are not the same. And so what's important about what we need to know about death in the Bible Death in the Bible means separation, not cessation. It's, you don't become extinct. You don't become non-existent. You're not annihilated. This is not soul sleep as some false cults teach. And so when the Bible says we die, we, we are, death means to be separated to, 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 for a separation to occur. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. In, in James chapter 3, I mean James chapter 1, it talks about, it says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works. Now notice it says the body without the spirit is dead. 
It doesn't say there's a spirit without the body. It said because the spirit is eternal, the body is temporal. And so what happens at the moment we breathe our last, there is a separation that occurs between the temporal, the physical, this house that our soul and spirit dwell in. And the Bible says when that separation occurs, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, it says we are confident and even willing to be absent, to separate from this temporal body so that we'll be instantly ushered into the presence of the Lord. The thief on the cross declared, Lord, when you get into your kingdom, remember me. And then Jesus said, this day, when you breathe your last breath, when the separation of the temporal from the eternal, when the physical is separated from the spirit and the soul, that you shall be with me, not might be with me, or at some point be with me. He said, this day, you shall be with me in paradise. I like what Jesus put. He says, don't be afraid of them who can kill your body. Your body dies. But he said, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul and deposit your soul in hell. Your body will die, but your soul is eternal. You remember when God formed Adam from the dust of the earth, he was completely formed physically. But that physical body had no life. That physical body had no consciousness. That physical body was sleeping. That physical body could not respond. But then the scripture says, and God breathed into the nostrils of Adam. The Nephis, the spirit of God, was breathed into Adam's nostrils, and here's what he became, a living soul. So the spirit is life, but the soul is the image of God that we all possess. When you die, the soul and spirit go to, are instantly ushered into the presence of the Lord if you're saved. You see, death for the Christian is not a period but a conjunction. <laughs> the Bible says that Lazarus died and the angels. <laughs> the body died, but the angels ushered his spirit and soul into the very bosom of Abraham. And then the scripture says, the rich man died physically, and he woke up. He woke up. His spirit and soul, our spirit and soul are eternal. And so when the Bible talks about death, it's talking about the separation. Now, we're talking about physical death because there's also spiritual and second death. We're not talking about that today. That there's a spiritual, there's something supernatural that happens. I had an experience one time. I got on my knees. And I was singing to a lady as she was dying. Strung out on crack cocaine, died. Dying, breathing her last breath. As she was exhaling her last breath, I was inhaling it. That was crazy. I don't know anything else to call that. I know everything I could do to clean out my, oh, God. But I, what I, 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 I experienced was the, 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 the scent of her breath, but the presence of the breath, the spirit and soul did not enter into me. It departed and went to its final destination, either heaven or hell. 
But the Bible also says in verse 13, it says, those who die, physical, because Adam, you remember Adam, the Bible says, the moment that you eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall die. Adam didn't die physically, but he died. He became spiritually separated from God. Death in the Bible is separation. Physical death is temporal. Body goes into the ground. And it, when the Bible says that they who die in Christ asleep, that means that the physical body, when you go down to the cemetery to visit mama or, or Uncle, Uncle Jack, what's in that casket is the physical body, and the Scripture says that they're napping. <laughs> That's not even final because one day, the tr- oh, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, that, that, they, that the physical body is what is resting are waiting for the voice of the Lord to quicken that which is dead. And so death and sleep are not the same thing. What, what sleeps is the body. What continues to live is the spirit and soul that are ushered into the very presence of God at the moment we die. Here's a, th- a fourth observation real quick. Grieving and mourning are not sin. Somebody's mother died, somebody's uncle died, a child dies all in the same day. And you ask them, how are you? God is good. All the time, God is good. I'm just loving Jesus. Your husband just died. Your child just died. They're repossessing your car. Let me add that to it. But, but you just cool. Paul says, I would not have you be ignorant so that you will not grieve as those who don't have hope. He doesn't say that grieving is sin. But grieving as if you have no hope is. Grieving is the internalization of the pain that you feel as a result of the loss of something or someone significant to your life. Let me say that again. Grieving is internal. It's the result of pain that we feel. Why do we feel pain? Because you're created in the image of God. You have a soul. And you, are, God created us to be emotional beings, not robots. Oh, when I call sometimes, I'm so glad when I hear a human being. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I don't remember what I called for, but it's so good to hear a human voice. And so when you lose someone or something significant, you will grieve. You'll hold it in. You'll feel the pain. You might even feel like you're dying. But mourning is the external expression of internal grieving. In other words, in the Bible it says, and they put on sackcloth and ashes because they were mourning. They were expressing externally what they were feeling internally. Now, you can grieve without mourning, but you you can't grieve and not mourn without being unhealthy. God allows us to mourn in order for our, so he says, I capture every tear. I count them as they fall from your eyes. He is mindful of us. And so go on and grieve. Even Jesus grieved and mourned. The Bible says he wept at the tomb of Lazarus, even though he knew he would resurrect him. Jesus also said in the beautiful attitudes, he said, blessed are they that mourn. For they shall be comforted. You're not even acknowledging that you said that it's all right, it's fine. I know Jesus. We, I know what he is. I do too. But Jesus cried. And if it's okay for Jesus to cry, 
I keep saying, if I'm dying and my kids ain't crying, my wife better be crying. Somebody better be crying now. I'm going to do one of those Jacob things. Jacob was dying, but Israel set up. <laughs> Tony was dying, <laughs> but the pastor set up. And he slapped everybody so hard that everybody in the room started crying. I was reading, uh, this, just listening again to the story of Tony Evans sharing his testimony. Within a year period of time, his brother died. His niece died at 38 years of age. His wife died, a wife of, uh, I think they were married almost 50 years, Lois, Lois Evans, a good friend of mine, wonderful woman of God, 38-year-old mother with four children, four beautiful girls, and just loved Jesus serving in the church. And then his daughter, uh, uh, Patricia Shires, Priscilla Shires, she's diagnosed with ca a cancer, and all of that happened with a span of uh, 12 months. And they were asking, well, Dad... <laughs> They're all, they were crying and, and just, Lad, how, do you, how are you continuing this? How are you still pastoring? And he said, I believe what I preach. He said, I, I really believe that to be absent from the body, I'm hurting, I'm grieving, I'm mourning, I miss my wife, and I've shed tears from time to time, but I'm un I understand this was not a goodbye. This is a see you later. I'm going to see her again. But when I do, it won't be like I saw as I held her hand as she breathed her last breath in sickness. We understand that Christians die, but death is not the end. We are eternal beings having a temporal experience called life. We are in the land of the dying going to the land of the living. Somebody say amen. Then let's finish up with this. Now, why does the Apostle Paul tell believers that we have a hope so that no so? He gives five reasons. And the first was in verse 14, he says, go, let's go back there. So for if, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring him, bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Again, the physical body, we're talking about. He said, the first reason I have a hope so that no so is because of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus' resurrection is the prototype for bodily resurrection of all Christians. His, his resurrection is the first of its kind. We said, we're doing resurrections in the Bible. Elijah prayed, and, and the Shunammite woman's son was resurrected, and Elisha prayed, and people resurrected. Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus, who had been dead for four, but all of them died again. When Jesus rose, he rose never to die again, and he rose bodily, and the body that he, he was resurrected in is a glorified body, the kind that can walk through closed doors the kind that has terrestrial and extraterrestrial ability. He can live in, on earth and eat fish and then go to heaven and be the fish. How about, how about, anybody know what I'm talking about? The resurrection of Christ. His, his, Jesus is the prototype. Jesus, is, the Bible says he's the firstborn of the dead, first one of his kind. Jesus said, I am the one who was dead in Revelation chapter uh, 1, verse 18. I was dead physically. I was sleeping. I was napping. But I am now alive, resurrected, never to die again. He said, guess what? I got some keys. I've got all authority and power in my hand. I've got victory over life, death, and the grave. 
I have a hope so that knows so because the Savior rose. Because, oh, because he lives. I can faith because he lives. The Bible says he who had died, he's coming back. He said, every eye shall see him, even those who slew him. You can't see a spirit. He's coming back in bodily form. The disciples, after Jesus taught them for 40 days in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, they stood there marveling and, and gazing, and two angels appeared. They said, why are you befuddled? Why are you spellbound? The same Jesus who is ascending into the heaven, he shall descend in the same manner. In what manner? Bodily form. Seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven is a glorified man. Jesus, the incarnate Christ. So I have a hope so because of the resurrection of Christ. He's the template. Oh, the blessed thing about that said, beloved, it, we are now the sons and daughters of God. And it does not yet appear what he shall be. But when he appears, what we know, somebody ought to shout, what we know is that we shall be like him because we shall see him. Anybody want to see him? We shall see him. We shall, oh God, that which is dim and obscure and, and, and hard to understand shall be understood. We shall see him and be like him. And so the resurrection of Christ gives me hope. This ain't the end. I, I, I'm heartbroken and, and, and I can't stop crying. And I don't fully understand why, but I know by and by. When the morning, oh, by and by. A second reason why we have a hope so that know so is in verse 15. He says, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Paul said, I ain't making this up. This is not my idea. He says, my hope is based on the revelation of Jesus. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Why? Because in my father's house, oh, there are many mansions there. He said, if it were not so, this is the revelation. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. But I, <laughs> I go to prepare a place for you, oh, Lord. And so where I am, you'll be there also. And I will come again. And so the revelation that Jesus gives, gives is, provides hope. Here's the third reason. The return of Christ should give us hope. The Bible says the Lord himself, in verse 16, he shall what? Descend, just like he ascended. He shall descend from heaven. Now, when he comes back the first time in the second part, the first part of the second return, he's coming in the clouds. Nobody, only saints are going to meet him. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, it says, all, all the earth shall see him. That's when he's coming back with the army of angels and the saints to do battle. But this time, the Bible says, he shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. Now, because of how quickly this happens, 
The Bible says we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of before you can flash an eye. Ain't gonna be no instant replay. Ain't gonna catch this on camera. That this shout, this trumpet, this voice of the archangel is only gonna be heard by the dead in Christ. It's kind of like when the Lord went to the tomb of Lazarus, he didn't say, dead, get up. Because if he had said that, all the dead and all the world throughout all time would have gotten up. But he said, Lazarus! So when the trumpet sounds, and when the shout of the Lord, and the voice of the archangel, it's going to be like that ultra-kinetic ultra, uh, sound that, that dog masters have, where the dog, you can blow a whistle. And the whistle is so faint, human ears can't hear it. But the dog will hear that his master is calling. And it don't matter what the dog is doing, that sound will immediately cause the dog to pause to wait for directions for, what the, what, for the dog that's the trumpet, for the dog that's the shout, for the dog that's the, the voice of the archangel, for the dead in Christ, there's going to be a sound. It's going to be a sound that only those who have died in Christ and those who remain will hear. And that's going to be our clarion call to get up, to get up, to wake up out of our state of sleeping. The Lord himself shall descend. The sound will come. Then the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first. Then those who are so for the Thessalonians, they need to understand, no, your parents haven't missed the rapture. It hasn't occurred yet. But when it does, they're going to rise first. Somebody said, why are the dead going to rise first? It's got, they got six feet more distance to travel. <laughs> well, what about people that got burned up? And what about somebody got blown up? Well, the same God I know fashioned from the dust of the earth. If God could speak into existence everything that exists without nothing, surely... He knows where your parent's body is. Surely he knows how to call together those things that are scattered. The rapture means to be caught up, to be snatched up, to be translated. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, he said, Behold, I show you a mystery, something that we can't understand without divine illumination, without divine explanation. He said, We shall not all sleep. But we're going to be changed. The word change means metamorphosized from one form to another. Corruptible flesh can't enter into heaven. But what's going to happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, this corruptible body that gets sick and dies and gets tired and fails and won't live right will be transformed, metamorphosized. This corruptible body shall take on incorruption. This mortal body shall take on immortality. And it's going to happen before you can blink an eye. The question is, are you ready? The question is, do you know Jesus? Because the rapture, the rapture, the word rapture doesn't occur, but it's a translation of caught up. The word caught up means to be snatched up, to be rescued, to be delivered, to be translated. Here's a final reason. You still with me? The reunion in heaven should give us hope. Listen to verse 17. You still here? Listen to verse 17. And the Bible says, uh, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the who? The Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. 
there's going to be a reunion. <laughs> oh, I love family reunions. Oh, I love the good old barbecuing, seeing people I haven't seen for a long time. And, and most of my family, we're going to act a fool. Somebody going get, to get, 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 get messed up. But anyway, it's good to see them anyway. every year. That's why I like to go to my wife's family reunion. They don't act like that. Let <laughs> me go down there and eat and eat and eat and, and enjoy fellowship. But eventually, you got to go home. Eventually, you got to go your separate ways. But one day, there's going to be a family reunion. <laughs> when all of God's children get together, what a time! What a time! What a time. You, you better learn how to love fellowshipping with other believers now. That's why the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling together of yourself as a man of summons. There's coming a time when Christians are going to be in reunion one with another throughout eternity. We won't have to go home. We won't have to say bye-bye. But as great as that is, that we'll see mama and we'll see daddy again and we'll see him in a different way, but we'll see him again. The thing I look forward to most of all, the Bible said we'll be caught up to meet him, to meet him. I want to see Jesus, the one who died for me. I want to see Jesus, the one who was stretched out on the cross for me. I want to see Jesus, the one who took the nails in his hands and the nails in the feet, the one who laid his head in the locks of his shoulder and said, Lord, it is finished. I want to see Jesus. We will be in his presence forevermore. I should have hope because of the reunion that will happen between Christians. You should have hope because of the resurrection of Christ, the rapture, the return of Christ. You should have hope because of the revelation of Christ. We should have a positive expectation, a confident expectation of a favorable outcome. Would you stand with me? I have a hope so that knows so. Amen. Amen.